So this is the second part of looking at the execution model in Hest in detail. And uh, this time I'm going to talk about what I call metaprogramming. And this um, goes back to some emergent behavior that came about very, very early on when I started building prototypes for Hest, where a path or an edge, or a wire, or whatever you want to call it. I've been very sloppy with terminology about these particular pieces. A path is defined by points, static points that are just used for the sake of the graphics. So you might have two points that are on your canvas, and they have a line between them, and it's a straight line. And if you want to have a curved line, maybe at a third point, and the line travels towards the midpoint and then curves to the end point. And it's like, at that point, you have a quadratic Bezier curve. And then if you add a fourth point to this arrangement, so you have four points, you have two end points and two points in the middle, then you have a, a cubic Bezier curve. And you get more and more complex types of curvature. And there are other rendering styles, like you can just do a linear path that goes straight from the first point to the second point and then turns a sharp corner and goes from the second point to the third point and turns a sharp corner. There's a lot of different rendering styles available. And so one of the very, very early on things that emerged was what defines an edge is this list of points and and the instruction to draw a path based on those points according to a certain curve type. You could make one of the points convey along another edge. So you can have you know, some edge that's going somewhere and then you can have some other edge somewhere else and you can grab one of the points from the second edge and plop it onto the first edge and then it just starts conveying along and your second edge kind of contorts and bends as it travels. And I, I kind of, that just emerged out of the the graphics model and it emerged out of the programming model that, uh, hey, those um, points that are traveling along edges that are traveling along other edges, they're still doing execution. There's something that that means to the programming. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it means. Um, you have, you know, a point traveling along a line, it's going to a function, it's going to invoke that function. Great. But that line is also traveling along another line. What? Why? I, I, um, so but uh i i don't know um and it, if uh but then when you, um uh so and, and you can do it in arbitrary depths i've only ever done it to one extra depth because even that like uh that was hard and i i don't know so let's 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 look at maybe maybe this is a good thing what can you do with it so you could have like a function at the at the bottom level at the you know we're on static edges with points moving along them the water slides are are you know drilled into the concrete everything is safe uh for these poor kids and you could have one of the functions that, that a point can arrive at be like lift. Let's use the word lift. And this does not probably, I don't, I haven't thought about this, probably doesn't mean the same thing as lift in functional programming. If it does, I don't care. But maybe what the lift function does, if there are, you know, let's say it's a function that has one input and two outputs. Maybe what the lift function does is it says, okay, 
uh, we're going to take that incoming point and we're going to produce as output from this function two new points that are coming out of those paths, but those new points have an edge between them and we're going to lift the incoming point onto that edge. And there'll be some way of specifying, like we want it to start on on uh, the, the point over here and go to the point over there on that edge that's going to come out. And then it's like you've got a conveyor belt on your conveyor belt with that little incoming point lifted up onto that second conveyor belt. And so those two... Uh, outcoming points that define that new higher conveyor belt can then be carried off to something else. And that point that's on top of them is now also being conveyed along and can do something. Uh, what what would this be useful for? Well, for one example, you would use it if you wanted to write a HEST program that generated new HEST code as it's executed. So as a kind of metaprogramming, like in, a, in almost like a game of life sort of way where you're building little constructions that are self perpetuating. Uh, so you could use this to maybe if the right primitives were in place and if the right functionality were there, if, if this were embraced in the programming model, you could write a little Hest program that like generated some new code and then did something with that code and then maybe cleaned that code up. So I am calling this metaprogramming because that I can imagine being a way to make this work where, where you use it to, in a very graphical way, create new code. And because there's also other non-graphical ways to create new code like there might be some if if you can't have hest points that are carrying other hest language primitives inside them like if if that's not a thing um, you could have something where it's like there's a function that when some data arrives at that function, the data contains a position in world space and the name of a new function to create there and maybe a list of other functions to connect it to and then poof you know that stuff just appears out of the ether that sucks like that's how metaprogramming in max msp works and it sucks because well it doesn't suck in max msp it's it's no fun um but it's it would suck really bad in hest because that's no longer visual like there's no longer a a connecting visible thread between cause and effect and so that breaks focus mode following points where they're going that breaks the idea of visualizing as much stuff as i possibly can and that reminds me of another thing i wanted to talk about with the one rendering tree idea is i really want to be able to have like if you have your side panel this is just a total aside you know this is we're in the little box we're gonna have a separate conversation in the context of this bigger conversation and if you're in your little uh sidebar and you have some data point selected or something like that and you're using the property inspector if you make a change to the property inspector like let's say it's a point that's carrying the value five towards a function that adds another five to that number so you get 10 back out and you want to change the value at that point you select the point and you look in your properties inspector in the side panel and you change i don't want it to carry five anymore i want it to carry 10 and you just type that in, in a little field and it updates the data behind the scenes there should be a context within which that is happening where the user interface is defined that is implemented in terms of HEST. And if you were to be able to view that context as an editable context rather than just a full speed executing context, you should be able to grab the time slider for that change and put it into slow motion. And there should be a virtual edge that carries you from the input field where you made that change, uh, where that input field is in fact a function that generates a value as a result of you making that change. And that value 
value should be conveyed along an edge back to the object that you are selected and manipulating. And that edge should appear for the purpose of conveying that data, and then it should disappear again because it is not something that is created as part of the static code that is in the HEST simulation that you were building. It is dynamic code that is generated to fulfill a purpose that you can follow in slow motion and then disappears when it is no longer needed. So there are many, many places where it will seem like I am building functionality into HEST where it's like, oh, this is a change that happens by magic and there's no visual thread connecting those things. The thread is there. You just have to be in the right level of edit mode to view that kind of thing. You have to be viewing the editing experience for the right context. And the user interface being defined in HEST has one of those contexts itself. Uh, and so that kind of thing from the from the one rendering tree idea is something that I am I'm wanting to do. And that is that that experience that I just described of making a change following a virtual edge back to the thing, that is implemented in Hest with the exception of the fact that I don't have virtual edges. So aside from that, that's already in there. Now we are done with the sidebar where I talk about the sidebar and now we're coming out of the box and back to the main topic of the episode. Um, that was serialist music, right? I think that counts as serialist. We can say that this, uh, this episode is high art and therefore uh, deserves a government grant. So the metaprogramming thing, uh, so you you could use that to create code in a way that is completely visualizable. The process of creating that new code is something that can be visualized completely. There's not just stuff poofing into existence in places. You are actually create. I mean, I, there is stuff poofing into existence in that when a function returns a new point, there has to be a a temporal membrane that is crossed of before that new point exists to after that new point exists. And and we will get into those kind of temporal membranes again in the future because uh, we're going to talk about determinism and numerical stability and that kind of stuff, and that's going to come up there. Um, but just aside from that one exception, it's not like a fully formed new HEST code structure is going to poof into existence. Stuff poofing into existence comes from known places where you expect things to poof to existence and then they move from that place to their final destination along paths that you can follow. So that is one use of metaprogramming that I have thought of so far. Now, this episode has been going on for quite some time. Uh, I'm going to stop here and then next week, you know what, screw it, we're going to do it now. We're going to talk about why this metaprogramming scares the crap out of me. So in the, I think it was the previous episode, I talked about the execution model. And you have this list of points that is sorted based on how long it's going to be until each point reaches its destination. And it's sorted in order from shortest time to destination down to longest time to destination. And we increment time by the shortest amount of time it's going to take a point to reach its next destination. If you have a point that is conveying along an edge that is changing lengths, you know, moment to moment, and if that edge has a length of time that it takes to travel along that is derived from its visible length. So if we're not doing the the thing like the crypt of the necrodancer thing that might be nauseating where all edges take a fixed amount of time to travel regardless of how visibly long they are so that there's this pulsing rhythm of all the points moving. If we don't have that and if we have 
you know, the length of the edge determines the traversal time. And if the execution model is otherwise not augmented, we now have a circumstance where there is non-determinism in how long it will take the higher up the metaprogramming level data points to convey along to their destinations. And the higher you go, the more non-deterministic that gets. And the reason it is non-deterministic is because there's no longer a closed form solution to that problem, at least to the very best of my knowledge. And if you are a mathematician out there and you are aware of what I'm talking about and you're thinking about it and you're going, no, I think there is actually a closed form solution. Please reach out to me. Um, you know, Ivan Reese at gmail.com or twitter.com slash spiral ganglion or go on the future of coding.org slack and and post there because the absence of a closed form solution means that you can no longer produce an exact solution, at least with floating point math. And if you want to get an exact solution, you have to use some kind of computable real numbers or some sort of constructive form of numerical representation and i will someday when we talk about determinism more get into why that's a no-go so if you're just using floating point math or as i am i'm using integers for everything even the very fine-grained time travel i'm keeping as integer for the sake of determinism we'll get into that there's no longer a way to exactly solve if you look at any two points, the exact order in which they will arrive at their destination deterministically. You can come up with an approximate solution. You can get close. You can use integration methods where you advance time in very, very small steps and try to nail the exact moment when uh, one point's going to get to the uh, to the end and the other point is not. But you can't be certain about that. And as an illustrative example, if you picture in your mind, imagine that you have two metaprogramming level edges that are each conveying a point. So these are two edges, and the the points that, that comprise these edges are being themselves conveyed, and so the edges are stretching and squishing and changing shape as time moves forward. Maybe one of those edges is getting a lot longer and the other edge is staying about the same length. And so you might think, oh, the edge that's staying about the same length, it looks like it's going to be done. But at any moment, because of the way the graphics work, that edge that is getting longer could squish down to a really tiny size. Like it could hit a choke point and pinch really close together. And then the point on that edge would immediately arrive at its destination. And so... There's no exact way to determine the order of the points, and then you get into non-determinism, because then you get into, you know, maybe those two things are independent, and we can solve them in an arbitrary order, it doesn't matter, but then you you get into, like, all that cap theory stuff, like, you no longer get uh, the ability to make global awareness of the exact state of your program a deterministic thing, and so that... That is why this metaprogramming edgesy kind of stuff is just completely like I, I you know, it's, um, uh, it's in all the prototypes. Uh, there's nothing stopping a person from doing it. It just, uh, and and I'm gonna keep it in in Hest. I am not gonna actually design this out. Like there are things I could do, like say, hey, any edge that is being conveyed is no longer allowed to act as a conveyor, right? That's an easy way to shut the problem down. Just like if you're a point on an edge and your edge is changing length, that point isn't going to move until that edge 
stops until the until the points of that edge are no longer being conveyed and they set down again on the concrete and are rooted then maybe the point that's up there can start moving because that is perfectly deterministic again um, and is perfectly reproducible at all time scales i'm not going to do that because um i don't need to because this can be a feature where much like you know go to or pointer arithmetic or whatever it's like it, it might be useful for some stuff, and if it causes problems, don't do it. I don't need to tell you not to do it. It can be a social convention to not do this thing, or that if you do do this thing, you are doing it knowing the cost of it, and perhaps I will give facilities to control that cost and to bound the non-deterministic behavior within a context that the context itself is deterministic. But uh, yeah, I, I think that this is one of the handful of things that I found so far about Hess that is like, it just emerges and it is what it is. And I'm just going to let it do its thing. And uh, to end of this episode, there was a, uh, a theatrical play that I saw a production of once called Excess Unwanted Growth. And it's about these two college kids in their dorm room. They don't clean the fridge for long enough. And so something comes alive from the fridge. And so one of the three actors in this play plays the thing that came alive from their fridge. And it's about the story of that thing from the fridge gradually developing autonomy and starting relationships and becoming a person. And the two people who didn't clean their fridge are just sort of, you know, just kind of reacting to the whole thing in a very, very charming way. And I think that this this aspect of Hest is the thing that has come alive from the fridge. And I'm just going to let it go out and find love of other things that have come alive from other fridges and, and have a life unto itself. <laughs>